I want to talk to you about the part two of the power of the Word of God. And when I, when I um, uh, started to study on this, I asked myself about a dozen questions and was pleasantly surprised at what I learned at the depth of the kind of power. Normally, kids are growing up with the idea of, you know, Marvel comics and superhuman power that, um, that fictitious characters have. But there is a power in the book that you hold in your hand that most people are ignorant of. And they don't know how to use it. They don't know why it's not working. They don't know what's going on with it. They kind of make expectations like a, like a spell book. Like too many people are very familiar with uh, Harry Potter and not with the Lord Jesus Christ and not with the Word of God. So I aim to correct that. I aim to, uh, uh, to uh, replace all of that uh, fairy tales and fables and stories with the truth and with the power that every one of us need. Remember. Uh, nobody gets saved by going to church. Nobody gets saved by singing a song. Nobody gets saved, born again, by giving away money. They get saved, they get born again by the word of God. It's that important. So uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 is where we're going to go. First off, Hebrews 4 and verse 12. And you need to underline these words. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful. That's our, that's our cue. That's what we're learning, that... The word of God. Um, you know, when I was growing up, my dad, when he spoke, I mean, he sometimes just had to look at you and there was power. There was authority there. But, you know, that was that was a long time ago. I need a power still today over my life. And that's where the word of God comes in. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even a, a, to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The greatest power on earth is the person of the Holy Spirit of God. That is the greatest power on earth. The greatest power tool that he uses is the Bible. When the Bible is compared to things, is compared to several different things, is compared to a very sharp two-edged sword, uh, you wouldn't want to meet somebody who was carrying a sharp two-edged sword in, the, in an alley because it does damage. It actually can kill. Uh, but thankfully, it's a two-edged sword. It can both cut and heal. That's our Bible. The Bible is compared to a hammer that can break things and can put things in its place. The Bible is also compared to a fire that burns out the rubbish and the dross and leaves things clean. The Bible is compared to a torchlight that guides and shows the way through the dark times. It's compared to a laser light that focuses on precise problems. I'm glad when I, you ever notice when you go to the doctor, you want help, and the doctor says, well, what's your problem? And you say, I don't know. That's why I came to you. <laughs> but I'm glad I have a Bible that already tells me what my problems are without me even knowing. The Bible is like a laser that points out precise problems. It's a quiet voice that speaks in the quiet but it also is a thundering roar like the most fiercest storm that rattles you to the core. I grew up in Texas, and when we were growing up, we had regularly what are called thunderstorms. And a thunderstorm was absolutely terrifying, and we loved it because the lightning and the thunder would just roar through and would rattle the house, and the windows would rattle with the wind, and your heart would beat and your chest would feel that thunder. And that was good. We were all like shaking, terrified, the lightning coming in through the windows and everything. Let me tell you, 
That's when you read your Bible. That's the word of God, the power of the roar of the very words of God. That's this book. Now, I want to show you three things that you need to do with your Bible out of six. I'm only going to deal with three this morning. I'll deal with the other three next, um, next Sunday. The three things that I'm going to ask you to do with your Bible, and I'll tell you why in a moment, is to read it. Now, I know that sounds very trite. Ugh, I think a lot of Christians want the deeper life when they don't have the beginning of the, of the Christian life, and that is in the Bible, walking in the Word. Read it. I'm going to ask you to start to study it. And then I'm going to ask you to believe it. Next week, I'll show you three more important things. But you will never get to the next three until you're doing these three. Because as you do each of these things, you will discover something new in this book that it does for you and that it does to you. Each one of these things, you, it, the Bible will do you no good until you read it. But that's not all it's there for. If you only read it, it's like reading a recipe. If you're starving and you've got some mints and you've got some bread and you've got some mayo and you've got some, some tomatoes and you're going, what do I do with all this? And you've got a recipe unless if you don't know how to fix a hamburger, somebody telling you how to do it, it's no good if you just read it. You're going to have to do something with it. You're going to have to act on it. I'll tell you about it as we go along. Because when you do follow the recipe, you get a good meal. When you do follow a recipe, you get a great cake. And you do follow the Bible, you get a great Christian life, I guarantee you. All right, so the first thing I'm going to tell you, ask you to do is to read your Bible. Isaiah 34, back in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, one right after the other. Isaiah chapter 34 and verse 16. Isaiah 34 and verse 16. I started to think about last week, I told you about some of the things that the Bible does. And I thought, what a, it kind of like, so what, so what, so what, so what? Well, if I see that those all are things for me, but if I just do one thing, I experiencing, I experience four. It's a great trade-off. Uh, God doesn't ask you to become a rocket scientist. God doesn't ask you to become a theologian. He just asks you to read the Bible. Start there and grow there. Look at Psalm I'm sorry, so Isaiah 34 and verse 16. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord, and what's the next word? Read. No one of these shall fail, and not one word of that Bible is going to fail. None shall want her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered. And there's some background to that thing. But Isaiah is telling God's people to read the Bible because it does not fail. You know, uh, and I, I said it just at the moment ago, I said, your Bible will do nothing for you until you read it for yourself. Absolutely nothing. It'll just sit there on a shelf, maybe in your lap right now. It'll sit as an app on your phone. Maybe it's up in the loft or the attic and it's just sitting there. And it'll do you no good until you read it. You'll wander. You know, I, I, I guarantee you there are, there are, on Valentine's Day, there are literally countless millions of couples and people who are at war in their home. And they're wondering, how do I fix my marriage? How do I fix my love life? How do I fix my relationships with my kids or my wife or my husband? And they won't read the manual that tells them how to do it. You'll wander. You'll struggle. You'll remain ignorant and wrong all your life until you start opening your Bible and reading it and letting it read you. 
See, that's one thing the Bible does is not as you read it, it'll actually read you and it will expose you. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Over and over in, in the New Testament, I'll take you to a, uh, at least one of them. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 3. Over and over, Jesus actually rebuked people saying, have you never read? Didn't you even read this in the scriptures? And it was to get them to go, wow, I, I don't think I ever noticed that. Look at Matthew chapter 12 in verse 3. But he said back into the Pharisees, have you not read what David did when he was a hungered and they that were with him and went on and on? Go to verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Go to chapter 19 and verse 4. Matthew 19 and verse 4. Matthew 19 and verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? So until you read it, it does no good for you. But once you start reading it, four things start happening almost immediately, okay? If you just will read it. Number one, it will open up to you. Psalm 119, Psalm 119. When you read it, it will open up to you. Now, I know there are a lot of people who want God to speak to them, maybe make a phone call to them or speak through the ceiling or whatever. But you're, 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 you're missing the point. If you're waiting for a dream or a vision or a prophet or a televangelist to tell you what God says, you're, you're, you're listening to the wrong voice. God already has spoken. This is how God speaks to us. Psalm 119 and 130. Psalm 119 and verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light he giveth understanding unto the simple just the entrance of it no matter where you open it that is light when you open the bible it gives understanding it opens your mind it opens and, and and it speaks to you don't ask god to speak to you when you won't open your bible one of the greatest you got to understand when you're reading it you're listening to god it's not just words on a paper. These are the words of God Almighty. The second thing that happens when you read your Bible is it washes you on the inside. John 15, go to the right. Gospel of John, chapter 15. John 15 and verse 3. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says this. John 15 and verse 3. Now are ye clean? Through the word which I have spoken unto you. Thank God this is true. Doesn't anybody here wish or yearn to be washed from all the filth, filth in our culture today? Have you gotten so used to the entertainment and to the things that are being said at work and, and even at home and on the television, on the radio? You can't read the newspaper. You can't Read social media without coming away soiled and filthy and ashamed of what you just saw or what you just read. 
I found that social media is basically sinful media. It ought to be renamed that. Are you on sinful media today? <laughs> Entertainment is basically the sexual abuse of your soul. Day after day. Listen, a day in the world, you're, by, at the end of the day in this world, our spirit is soiled and stained and filthy and dirty. So God gave you something that is like clean water for your soul. This book is not filthy. You know what? Anybody in the world will try to say, well, that Bible's a filthy book. They are wicked. They're trying to, trying to protect their own sinfulness. This book is most clean, pure, balanced book ever written. You can read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she bare a son and called his name Cain. You can, uh, as a child, you can read that, and it is pure. It is clean even though every adult knows exactly what happened when Adam knew Eve, his wife. Amen. The Bible is a clean book. Amen. And it is a cleaning book. It washes. It cleanses. What an awesome book. It is pure. If for no other reason, read your Bible at the end of every day just to wash away the muck and the filth and the poo and the dung of life. Because if you're not, if, if, if you're not sick of how filthy your thoughts are and your 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 the, the spirit and the attitude that you carry after being out in the world if you don't yearn for that something's wrong with you you've gotten so used to your sin you think it's normal i've read of some people who've never taken a bath since they were a teenager you know what they don't they think everything's fine their body their body odor they've gotten so used to they walk around and nobody can sit next to them. Nobody can talk to them. Nobody can get near them. And yet, as far as they're concerned, they're absolutely fine. And that's some of you. Because your sin in your heart, and you're saved. I'm not doubting your salvation if you're born again. But you've gotten so used to the kind of sin that just goes around inside of your head and your heart and your spirit and your soul. And you don't read the Bible to get it cleaned up. There's something that happens when you just read the Bible. You say, well, I don't understand it. It doesn't matter. Just listening, Jesus said, you're clean through the word that I've spoken. Just listen at the feet of Jesus, and it's like cleansing. It's like the best bath ever. You need to do it every day. Third thing it does for you is it feeds your spirit. Matthew 4. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4 and verse 4. Every one of these, I have at least a dozen scriptures. I wish I could take you down the journey of of what I've learned and what I've enjoyed, things I already knew. It's not, well, these things aren't new, Pastor. Well, I'm not here to only teach you things that maybe you don't know, but I'm here to remind you of the important things that maybe you've forgotten. And that is that when you read the Bible, it's like sitting down with a meal, and it's Sunday dinner, and it's chicken, and it's potatoes, and it's uh, corn, and it's, um, uh, I don't know, what else can we throw on that plate there, amen? <laughs> and, and you're sitting down there, and you're not analyzing the food. You're enjoying it. And when you read your Bible, by Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, he says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but you live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It feeds you. Just your time in the Bible will feed your spirit. Most of us are like a prune that's been dried up, we haven't fed on the Bible and we've shrunk and we've dried up and we're dead because we haven't eaten in a month. 
and you couldn't last for that long without food, why do you think you can last that long without the Bible? It'll feed your spirit. The most important part of you is not what I'm looking at, or what I uh, uh, talk to and hear from. The most important person in, in, that's in you is your soul and your spirit. And do you feed that? The Bible is the only thing that God gave you to feed that invisible part of you that's crying out for, for sustenance and for nutrition and for health. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, uh, the Bible is, um, uh, is compared to bread, as we just read there, is compared to water, is compared to milk, is compared to meat, is compared to honey, sweet honey, and is also compared to salt and bitter herbs. It's a Christian's balance, balanced uh, meal. So when, when you just, you say, well, I don't understand what I'm reading. It doesn't matter. It is still sustaining you. It is feeding you. A baby doesn't understand creamed corn versus, you know, uh, juice or whatever. It, it's just feeding on it. The Bible says as newborn babes, we should desire and yearn for and cling to the sincere, sincere milk of the word. So just open your Bible and it'll start feeding you. You'll find there's a part of you that hasn't eaten in a while and it starts getting stronger. And the fourth thing that'll happen if you start reading is it'll hurt you. Go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Now, this is why most people stop reading their Bible. Because when they read it, it cuts them. It hurts them. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Acts 7, 51. Here's Stephen, he's a, uh, uh, he's a deacon there in the church at Jerusalem, and he's preaching. In verse 51, he says this, and he's not, he's not being very mm, politically correct. He's calling out the sin of his audience. And he's talking to him straight up, right eye to eye, nose to nose, toe to toe. And look what he says, verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets, he goes on, have not your fathers persecuted? All of your fancy Jewish lineage, you always fought with and argued with and rejected the prophets God sent. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, the Messiah of whom ye have been now the betrayers and the murderers who betrayed the Son of God. Verse 53, who have received the law by the dispositions of angels and yet have not kept it. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were blessed. Is that what it says? No. When they were encouraged? No. Oh, they were so fed? No. Look what it says. They were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth and they picked up stones and they murdered him. Now, don't tell me you haven't read this Bible and went, well, I, I wish I hadn't read that. Boy, that hurt. Boy, that, I wish I'd read something about my wife. <laughs> I wish I'd read something about my teenage rebel of a child. I wish I'd read something about somebody. But it talks to us, and it cuts us sometimes. When you read it, sometimes it's going to upset you. It'll tell you the unvarnished truth. It'll rub you the wrong way. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you ever seen sandpaper work on, work on wood? The only reason why sandpaper works is because it cuts away. 
Now, wood doesn't have feelings. But that's the Bible. It's like sandpaper. And as it scrapes and, and digs into our callousness, to our hardness, to our sensitivities, when it cuts into all that stuff and starts getting down to the core problem, we don't like it. The point is, that's okay. That's what it's supposed to do. And uh, if, if all you're willing to do is just read your Bible, I guarantee you the moment that the Bible comes against you, you'll close it and put it away. And I'm calling you a fool because you're missing the whole purpose of that cutting. It's like the doctor. You do not want a doctor who only tells you good things. You want a doctor who tells you the hard things and says, this is what we need to do. If you want to live, this is what you need to do. So let the Bible make you feel uncomfortable as you read it. Um, start in Matthew. Where do you begin? Somebody might ask and says, well, what are, what are you starting? You start in Matthew chapter one. Just read and you say, well, there's all those begats and all these genealogies. Yes, because it is a continuation of a story from Genesis to Revelation, and you need to know the connections. You need to know that Jesus wasn't some Johnny-come-lately, that he just appeared out of nowhere. No, he was part of a plan. The Bible was written so that you can trust it, so you can test it, so that you can connect the dots. So start with the begats, and then read on chapter 2, chapter 3. Read at least one chapter, two chapters. Somebody asked me, how many chapters do you read, uh, Pastor, every day? I try to do four every day. Sometimes I do ten. Sometimes I do one. If I've just got a busy day, sometimes I'll listen to catch up with some of my reading on, on the audio Bible. But I read it. I read it. And I'm reading through my Bible every year. Every year. Used to be able to do it twice a year. It just doesn't come easy for me anymore. No excuse. I'm just telling you. You, you don't have to be a pastor, a theologian. You must read your Bible. Now, the second thing you need to do is study it. You see, if you want the power of the cleansing of the Bible, you're going to have to read it. If you want the power that's in the Bible that will encourage you and help you and feed you, read it. But if you want even better results, if you want the Bible to have more power in your life, then listen, if you watch social media and it destroys you and it discourages you, if you watch the news very, very much, it will pull you down. It will defeat you. If you want something to replace all that, read your Bible. Now, I know in this modern day, everybody wants to have a multimedia Bible. They want to have flashing lights and animated characters. They want jokes and they want levity and fun. And it's not in there, folks. It's, it, there, there is levity in the Bible. There's joy in the Bible, but not like the world's talking there is real joy and there's, there's real life in it. And when you just plow through it and you read through it and you decide, this is doing a work in me. This is helping me. This is helping my family. This is, this, is, this is what our nation needs. Then you need to read it and then you need to do a second thing. You need to study it yourself. Second Timothy chapter two, go to the right, find second Timothy chapter two. Now I didn't make any of this up. I'm just pointing out what the Bible says. 2 Timothy 2 and verse, I mean, um, nope, it's not 2.15, 3.15. Oh, yeah, I am in 2.15, sorry. 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, 
the Bible commands us to study so that we can be approved by God, so that we can actually, nobody else may understand you and what you're learning, but you're trying to say, Lord, is this right? The Lord say, yes, that's right. Study to show thyself approved unto God. That's going to take work. You're like a workman. You ever see these guys, you come up along the highway and they're out there digging up tarmac and they're quickly trying to put down new tarmac, fix the road. Those we call them workmen. And the Bible says when you study this Bible, you're a workman that needed not to be ashamed. You're working at it so that you're not constantly wrong. Rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a lot in that. But what does it mean to study? It means to think hard. Oh, think hard about what you're teaching. It will um, go, go, to, go to Mark 12. Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. I would say in this church, there probably half of you actually do read your Bible. I don't know, yes or no, whether you, you're one of that half that read it or don't. I don't know. And I mean, when I say read, I mean read it every day. I would hope that I'm right. I hope that I'm not going to be embarrassed one day when I get to heaven. I find out you, you never did read your Bible. And believe me, we will find out. But uh, uh, I, I, want, I want you to stop thinking that, well, pastor, I read in pastor studies. That's not right. The only reason why a church can stay strong and stay unified is if we're all on the same page and if we're all studying and learning the Bible ourselves. This is for everyone, whether you're six years old or 66 or 106. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says this. Watch this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, notice what he asked the start, it says in the heart. So it starts with the heart. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, watch the next words, and with all thy mind. You don't switch off your brain. No, if I'm going to love God with all my mind, I'm going to have to think about what I'm reading. And with all thy strength, isn't that needed today? Some of the smartest and, and the healthiest and strongest people reject the Bible when, when, when the smartest, healthiest people ought to be believing the Bible. Because when you pour your life into this book, you get a better life. When you study this book and put your mind into it, I know, I know scientists back uh, just 30 years ago were actually revealing and understanding things. A lot of the major scientific uh, studies and, 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 and uh, discoveries over the last 500 years have been by Bible believers. The guy who invented the MRI. Um, I'm just off the cuff. I'm just trying to think of half a dozen people who, because the Bible said differently than what evolution said, they discovered something that was brilliant and has helped mankind like evolution can't. So uh, use your mind when you're reading the Bible. It goes on. Keep going. Verse, uh, verse 31, the second is like, is, is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now the scribe who had asked him, the scribe said unto him, well, master, Thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and notice what he says, and all the understanding. How are you going to understand the things of God if you don't study? Uh, somebody, if you, if you ever, uh, if you remember taking algebra in secondary school, I mean, you had the book. <laughs> you, you, you saw all the, the, the lines and the X's and Y's and squares, and you, you, 
But there was no understanding unless there was a teacher there trying to explain how to find X. And it's just wonderful when, when it clicks and you understand how you arrived at the answer. And you're going to have to study the Bible to come to the answers. And what's great is the Bible is a self-teaching book. I don't know too many times or too many things in the Bible where if when you're reading just something and, and all of a sudden it's confusing, if you just keep reading, the next verses will explain what you just read. It's called a self-interpreting, a self-teaching book. If you will study your Bible, what happens? The Bible teaches you. Psalm 119, back in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 119 and verse 98. Psalm 119 and verse 98. Again, we're going through the book of Psalms, specifically Psalm 119 right now on Wednesday night. So I encourage you, I call it the Bible Psalm because it's all about the Bible. Psalm 119 verse 98 picks up with this thought. It says, Thou, God, through thy commandments, has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my Wow, what a, what a braggadocious statement. What an audacious statement if it's not true. But it is true. The more you learn this Bible, the more you know than your teachers who, if they don't know the Bible, okay? So um, verse, verse uh, uh, for thy testimonies or my meditation, verse 100, I even understand more than the ancients, the old, because I keep thy precepts. You know, it's too sad that it's, it, somebody once said this, uh, too soon old and too late smart. You ever heard that phrase? But you don't have to be, you can be 25 years old and be wiser than every, than every 60 year old who's going down to the pub every night, who's lost their wives, lost their families. You can be smarter than the ancients by going by the Bible if you'll just study it. You see, when you just read it, and, and there's, there's a time for reading, and then there's a time for study. Reading it, it washes you, it feeds you. It hurts you. Um, but what else does it do? Well, nothing until you get into where, you know what? It says something like the word propitiation. You need to find out what that word means, and you'll start dancing. You'll start shouting, raising your hand. Woo, it's all paid for. Full payment. All of my sins, gone, 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 gone. When you learn the word, meaning of the word propitiation. So you read there in 1 John chapter 2, he, Jesus, is our propitiation. It'll thrill you when you learn it. You got to study it. And it'll teach you. You know what? It'll, it'll, it'll answer all of life's core questions. Like, who am I? Remember when you used to ask that? You don't ask that anymore. <laughs> Some people don't know what they are. But here's the Bible to tell you who you are. Why were you born? You know, life's core questions are, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Why do I do so many wrong things? What happens to me when I die? Uh, you know, the Bible will answer you, not with short, pat answers, but it'll answer you with strong, precise meat. It'll stand up to scrutiny. Now, Bible study is the highest form of learning. It's better than all the degrees and the PhDs and the courses anyone ever could complete. And it's not, you listen, your Bible's not all that you can know, all right? But it's all that you must know if you're going to have a godly life, if you're going to have a full life, if you're going to have joy. It's not all that you can know, but it's all that you must know. It is the foundation of all learning. So it'll teach you if you'll study it. The Bible will teach you. 
uh, it'll expose hidden things. I mentioned this last week. Uh, I won't go over it again, but Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful. You don't even know your own heart. So you need a Bible to tell you what you're like. Uh, it not only does that, it convicts us once it comes up. Back there in Hebrews 4, 12, it says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharp as any two-edged sword. It cuts deep, kind of like opening up a cadaver or opening up doing surgery. It's able to get in between the joint and the marrow of a bone, which is very tight. And it's able to divide asunder, put parts, put the parts that are spiritual, parts that are soul, and parts that are flesh, able to divide you all into parts and say your problem is spiritual here, problem is emotional here, and a problem is physical here. That's the Bible. And it convicts, it exposes you don't even know the idols you have in your heart and in your home and in your life until you're reading the Bible. It says your TV's an idol or your family's an idol or yourself is an idol. And you wouldn't know that unless you read the Bible. You don't know all the bitterness you have until you're reading along and you read about Esau. And you go, that's me. You need a good looking glass that shows you and me who we really are. It, it convicts, it makes us feel guilty. Now, it may cut you when you read it, but boy, it really cuts you when you study it and you find out, that's me, Lord. It cuts and it convicts. But it has a surprising effect because I talked to you about when you're just reading it, it washes you. It actually does it to a second degree. Go to John 17. It actually deep cleans. John chapter 17. I figure Eric will like this one. Um, but you see, the, you see the stuff on the left of the, of the picture there. You know what that is? We call it scum. We call it dangerous. If you've got a footpath or you've got a back uh, garden patio there and it's got all that on there, you don't walk on that because you'll slip and fall and die. You need somebody with a power washer who doesn't just pour water on it. You need somebody that can go in there and can blast it away. And you're not going to be able to deep clean the things that you've, you've struggled with and you've lived with all your life unless you study your Bible. You make time to let the Bible hammer away like a jackhammer, like a kango hammer, and let it power wash. Look at John chapter 17. I'll show you what Jesus prayed. John 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father, and he says, sanctify my followers sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth now sanctify means deep clean i'm being very practical you pick up a cup out of the out of the cupboard there somebody wants a cup of tea and you hand them a cup it looks gorgeous on the outside it sparkles even but they tilt it over and get ready to pour the tea water in and it's got scum and muck and stuff growing in it you wouldn't drink it would you because it's not been cleaned on the inside. I mean, clean, cleaned. And you wouldn't just run it under the water. If you ever picked up a cup that may, or how about this? It's time to have cereal, okay? So the kid said, I want cereal for breakfast. So you go and you get a bowl. But that bowl has been the dog's bowl for the last month. Would you use it? Would you just put it under the water? Or would you deep clean it? You see, when Jesus says sanctify them, He's saying, God, I want my followers to be sanctified. I want them to be clean through and through. Not just bathe, but cleaned in their thoughts, 
clean in their attitudes, clean in their desires. Sanctify them through thy word. Um, as you study and you learn the words and sentences and promises and the laws of this book, something happens. It will powerfully replace the demonic strongholds in your life and replace it with the worship of Jesus Christ alone. I can talk to you all day long. I can tell you where your problem is and it'll do no good until you go and you learn it for yourself. Until you see it for yourself. You know that preacher? He's right. I read it myself. I cross-referenced it. I studied it. And I found out he's right. That's when that stronghold of the devil comes crashing down. Because you did it. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 5, says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ. Those high things are strongholds the devil puts in your life, like any addiction you might have or any bitterness. And believe me, bitterness is a stronghold that is affecting everyone. And you're not going to get rid of it until you study it out and you see yourself in it. And you say, Lord, how do I get rid of this? And the Lord will say, I'm already doing it as you study. It'll cleanse sinful desires and habits. It'll clear up the past memories and the guilt. You know, when you study the sovereignty of God, it'll tell you and remind you that God was in control back when you got hurt, just like he's in control now. And he'll be in control when he takes you all the way home to heaven. And you'll be able to put the past in the past. That's when you study. It'll deep clean. And it'll liberate you. It'll free every person in this room. John 8, go back to John chapter 8, verse 32. John 8, 32. Jesus speaking again, and you shall know the truth. What was the truth? Thy word is truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you. Glory to God. How many people, listen to me right now, worry about what everybody else thinks. They worry about whether they're going to be able to handle problems or popularity. They're in bondage to everything about this world. How many people listen to my voice have got stuff that haunts them in their past and keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up and gripping them and holding them back? You want to be free? The book makes you free, but you're going to have to get into it. You're going to have to study it. You're going to have to learn what God said. I, I Don't just expect me to spoon feed you. If you are 36 years old, your mama should not still be putting the spoon in your mouth. It's time for you to go and cook your own meat and cut it and feed yourself. Because that's when you get free. You get free, not when I tell you how to be free. It's when you learn it yourself. And I'm tired of Christians who, well, I'm, I'm saved now, and that's all that matters. Are you kidding me? That's, that's changed your destination, but it doesn't change your life. Your life gets transformed as you every day renew your mind, and you learn. It'll liberate you. It'll mature you. You know, I've seen nine-year-olds more mature than 20-year-olds. You know the difference? Mama making sure they're reading their Bible. Daddy sitting down and talking through the questions and saying, do you know, understand this thou what thou readest? <laughs> As Philip did to the Ethiopian eunuch. It's when, it, it's not age. You know what God said about David versus Goliath? God said that Goliath said, 
uh, well, Saul said to, to King David, to young David at that point, he says, you're just a child. You know what God said? He's a man. He's a man after my own heart because he's more mature because he believes God's word more than King Saul did and definitely more than Goliath did. It'll mature you. It'll, it'll, uh, only as we study do we grow up and become mature. Uh, some people only go through the school, school of hard knocks, all right? I understand that. But there's no, there's no joy and there's no, no pride in just being able to survive on the street. There's a maturity that only comes when you know the Bible. You know, the Bible uh, teaches and, and tells how to run a government. <laughs> tells you what is right and what are civil rights and what are personal rights. It defines all those things. And most every one of them that we have today, besides the ones they've been adding over the last 30, 40 years, most every one that we have that we enjoy that we're losing, we got from the Bible. We didn't get from government. It'll mature you. I don't know if I'm making my point or not but it'll establish you. I'll quote this. Romans 16, 25 says, Now unto him that is of power to establish you. That means put your feet solidly on the ground. Has the power to establish you according to my gospel. He can establish you not because it's just a spiritual work, but because you're studying according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. You want to be a more balanced person? where you're not so easily swayed by all the propaganda of the news and the social media and the peer pressure. You want to basically be right more than all the stuff that goes up and down like a yo-yo every time on the news? Then read and study God's word. It'll anchor your feet. It'll settle your heart like no drug ever could. I like another thing it does. Again, I came up with about 40 different things the Bible did, and I summarized and I put them all in these things, and it blessed me. You know, when I read my Bible, and then when I study it, I get awed. I sit in, 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 in awe of, of what I read. Some people want to see a beautiful sunrise, and amen. Some people want to see a gorgeous sunset. I understand all that. But I've got stuff in this Bible that I have never seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God is revealing through his spirit in the word of God. It's absolutely breathtaking. Paul says this in Romans 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. I mean, the depth of it, how deep are his thoughts? He goes on and says, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. You'll never, never finish trying to figure out all that God has said. So study it and you'll come away. And the more I study the Bible, the more I have to study it more. It's, it's kind of like a... I don't know. I don't know what to, to, to describe it with, but the more you open it up, the more it opens up. It, it is not, it is, it, you don't hit an end and go, well, I've, and I've finished. There's just nothing more to learn with this or that. No, it, it, it will, if you will study your Bible, it will impress you. It will blow your mind. It'll also fill you. Now, this is very important because until you See, when you read, you can be like kind of like sitting down talking to, to, your, to your wife. And your wife starts talking to you. And she's talking, but you've checked out. Okay? And you're like, uh, yes, yes. Uh-huh. My wife will catch me on that all the time. She says, you weren't listening, were you? And I go, well, I heard that. <laughs> but you can read your Bible, and it just doesn't do much for you. Now, it's cleaning you. It's feeding you. Amen. I understand all that. 
But as you study it, it will fill you. And aren't you tired of being filled with all the stuff of the world? Aren't you tired of being filled with, with the flesh and with, with sinful thoughts and sinful memories and stuff? This Bible replaces all the stupid stuff in my head. And it'll stuff replace all the stuff. Colossians 3.16. Take your Bible. Go to right. Find Colossians 3.16. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians 3.16. I quote this every Friday night and Sunday evening on the radio. Colossians 3.16. Look what the Bible says. Just the first part says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Now, next word, richly. All right, so uh, if I baked a cake, it, it, might be, it might be flowery or it might be like a hockey puck. I don't know. But if I baked a cake, it might be fluffy and everything, but it probably wouldn't have much flavor. Okay? It's not rich in flavor. My wife bakes something and it's rich. All right. When I read the Bible, it wants to enrich me. It wants to make my life full of Christ, full of life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, deeply, fully. And that's how you, that's, uh, and it goes on and it says, in all its wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Anyway, it'll fill you. Last thing on this, this second point is this, it will scare you. When you study the Bible, I guarantee you, you're not only going to be hurt <laughs> when you read it, you'll be terrified. Uh, I, my, when I read my Bible, it constantly reinforces the reality that I fear God. You know, I read in Jonah, and Jonah's sitting on that boat. He's actually sleeping in that boat running from God. You know what he says to those men in the middle of that storm as that boat is sinking? He says, I fear the Lord. <laughs> well, you know what? He may say it, but he didn't believe it. He wanted to die. But those men in that moment and that fear, they realized the big God of heaven and earth was coming down on them. And it was all Jonah's fault. And I thought about, I wonder, don't I need to make sure my life stays right so that other people's lives aren't at risk? And that was Jonah. Jonah didn't care who he hurt, didn't care um, his, his attitudes and his reaction to the will of God and to the call of God were going to kill and destroy the lives of all those sailors on that boat. I don't know if you know the story of Jonah there, but that ought to put the fear of God in us that, you know, it's not just about me. I read along in there. And when I got saved 40 years ago, 41 years this coming um, uh, June, when I got saved, um, it was because I feared God. I, I knew God. I, I, John Cranford told me over and over, well, God loves you. Amen. But he also said, but you're going to hell without Jesus Christ. You can do all your best works and try to get your way to heaven. But if you reject Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is on your head. And I said, well, I don't want any, I don't want the wrath of God. I want forgiveness. I want to be saved. And that's when I got out of my chair and I got on my knees and I asked them to save me because I had the fear of God. So when you read your Bible, it will rattle you. When you study out some of these things and you start seeing yourself in Esau, or you see yourself in Adam or Eve, you see yourself in Moses and his anger, it'll terrify you. And that's a good thing. Um, be careful, dear Christian. Don't think that what happened to Moses won't happen to you. When you, when you read your Bible, you're looking at yourself. 
in all of these people. That's when you study it. I got one more point. I'm just going to begin on this thing, and I'll finish it next week. But as you believe the Bible, first thing, read it. Second thing, study it out. But then I'm going to ask you to believe it. Acts 26. Acts chapter 26. In verse 26. The Apostle Paul has uh, been in jail for a while. He's been in prison, really, simply because he was in Jerusalem, in the temple, not stirring up any riots or anything. He was in Jerusalem, uh, there to preach the gospel, and they wanted to kill him, the, the Pharisees did. And so he's, that has brought him all the way now to stand in front of a king named King Agrippa. In chapter 26 and verse 26, he gets to speak to King Agrippa. He gives him his testimony. He pleads with him. And watch what he says in verse 26. This is priceless. He goes on and he says, For the king, for the king Agrippa knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. This is Paul talking. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. He knows about all these things. For this thing, what Christ did, was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, watch what he asks. Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And then Agrippa said back unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What was holding him back? The belief that who Jesus was, was who he, uh, that Jesus was who he claimed to be. That what Paul was preaching was the truth. You see, what held King Agrippa back was he didn't quite believe. Oh, yeah, he had the head knowledge, but in his heart of hearts, he didn't just believe because he said, Paul, you're, 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 you're challenging me to be a Christian, but I can't go there. I just can't believe it all. And that will send a man, a woman, a boy and girl to hell because this is where the greatest work gets done. You can read your Bible all day long. You can study out every word, every syllable and miss the whole point of your Bible and end up in hell. When you read the Bible, it'll take you through the law. It will convict you as a sinner. And as you keep reading your Bible, hey, you read your Bible, you'll see yourself in Adam. You'll see yourself as like a sinner like David was when he got up on that roof and he went looking for a woman bathing and naked. And you'll see yourself in your sin like Pharaoh. And then it will bring you face to face as you read your, keep reading your Bible. Boom, you get Matthew and you meet Jesus. And when you just simply believe what you read in that book about your sin, about God's righteousness, about heaven and hell, about God loving a sinner like you and me and dying in our place, that's when it converts. That's when the Bible does its greatest work. I'm all for the Bible making you a better man or a better woman. But it's no good if it doesn't save your soul. Uh, Romans chapter 10 and I'm done. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, be able to say it with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. What an impossible thing. And yet I believe that Jesus is alive. He is dead. God come in the flesh and he's alive forevermore. It says, that's when thou shalt be saved, when you believe. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. We'd say unto perfectness, unto all the things that God requires. I just believe it and I get it. 
For with the heart man believes in the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made all the way to salvation. Look at verse um, uh, 17 there. You see, the Bible doesn't make people religious. It makes them new. Verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 17 says, For so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Uh, the Bible changes you, saves you by giving you the faith, giving you what you're supposed to believe. I can, I can tell you, I can preach, I can plead, but you need to see with your own eyes. You need to study it out. Don't you believe? Um, you know, some people get an emotional high when they go to church or they hear some special preacher. They call them usually evangelists and stuff. And then they want to make a response, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're believing. And then they go back into the old life they never were saved. Let me tell you, you've got to read it with your own eyes. You've got to think about it, think it through, test it and find out, is that what it really says? Where else does it say it? Does this really work? And then when you believe it, it saves you. It makes you brand new. If any man be in Christ, he is a, not a religious man, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, if you just start believing this book, God will guide you to the cross. And there you'll discover why. Why God had to go to the extreme is because we put him there. Don't think that Jesus just got up on that cross and died. No, religious and political people put him on that cross. And it was the common people who wanted it. Don't you think for a second that it was just a death. It was our murder of the Son of God that brought him to that place because we needed somebody who could save us under the worst of circumstances. You know what God would like to do right now? He'd like to save a wretch like you. Forty years ago, it worked for me. It could work for you now. If you'll look one more verse there in Romans chapter 10, look at verse 13. For whosoever, don't think for a minute that, that you're really not qualified to be a Christian. You've gone too far. Don't think for a second that, well, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more intellectual. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't come down to that level. No, no, no. The Bible says every one of us must be born again. Every one of us need to get saved. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Don't call me. All I'll do is I'll, and I, you can call me, but I won't save you. I will tell you about Jesus and tell you you need to call on him. You need to cry out to him from, from that deepest, most hurt part of you that you haven't let out in a long time and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Please save me. If you'll call upon the name of the Lord, and it says, shall be saved. Not might be, not hope to be, but shall be. Those are the words that John Cranford told me when I was sitting at his table on a Sunday night. And I said, I don't want to go to hell. He says, this is how to go to heaven. And I'm telling you the same message, that you can be born again. You see, the greatest power of this book is to give you new life. Get life like you've never had before. And it's a life that lived following Jesus Christ. And all Jesus did is he kept saying, search the scriptures. Every one of them talked about me. And all I'm all the way to Revelation. Tell me, I just keep my eyes on him. You know, when the storm comes and when the trouble comes, and I don't know what to do, I know what to do. Let's look unto Jesus. I learned that from reading my Bible and studying it and believing it. You know, it'll put your heart at rest. Believe in every word you find in this book. Will you believe it? I'm through. 
You see, will you commit to reading your Bible? I mean, that's such a simple thing. What church asks its people to read the Bible? This church does. I'm begging you, read your Bible. You say, well, it doesn't do anything for me. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's washing you, whether you admit it or not. It's feeding you, and it's probably cutting you, hurting you. But do it. Read your Bible. Will you start to study it? You will see all extremes of, of, you'll experience all extremes of what it can do in your life if you'll just read it and study it and learn it and prove it. And it is provable. And will you start, will you just believe whatever the Bible says? I believe it. God said it, so I believe it. I, I, don't, I don't believe what the Pope says or what Pastor Craig says. I believe what the Bible says. And I'll believe anybody that just preaches the Bible. That's what we do at church. We believe. If, you, if, 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 it's, if it's any harder than that, then we couldn't be saved. Um, this book has the power to save your soul. You don't have the power to do it, and I don't have the power to do it. This book does. Father, this month we're trying to learn about the power of the Word of God. We, we, we want it to be a power that we can use instead of it being the power that you use on us. And forgive us, God. It's not a set of magical statements and spells and things to, to quote and to bring about to pass because we've just spoken it. No, it's a power over my life. It's a power in my life. It's a power for the benefit of my life. Everything the Word of God does, even the hard things, the hurting things, are for my benefit. And if it takes my time, if it takes my attention, if it takes me making decisions that I wouldn't normally make because it calls me away from the world and calls me closer to you, it is for my good. Who wouldn't want something that would make them clean again? Who wouldn't want something that stabilizes their heart from fear and from panic and from confusion and from lies? Who wouldn't want something like that? And they've got it right in their hand. They have it on their phone. It's supposed to be in the heart. It's supposed to be in our understanding. If we would just believe it. And when we do, everything starts brand new. It's different now. Thank God it's different. So would somebody please desire and, de and decide today you're ready to get saved. And with head bowed and eyes closed, I don't care if you're at home, wherever you are, would you bow your head and would you just cry out and say, God, I've, I've, I've never asked you to save me. Or I've asked you over and over, but I never believed that you actually ever did. I now believe that Jesus died for me, was buried and rose again for me. And I now believe you want me and I trust you. I'm a Christian now from this day forward. I'm not going to doubt you anymore. I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to read your Bible. I'm going to study it. I'm going to be like Jesus. Lord, if, if, if there's something in this, this message that hasn't affected somebody, doesn't help somebody, I don't know what else to do. For every one of us would say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for reminding me what I need to do and what I get to experience from it. In Jesus' name, amen.